0: Here we go, you are listening to Law and Gospel Bible Study on this June the 12th in the year of our Lord 2019 and this is a unusual Bible study because it is a continuation of last week's study from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to begin with chap- verse 20 of chapter 14. Let me give a little background why we are doing this. For many people, speaking in tongues means to be speaking in a language of the angels that are, is necessary if you want to be considered as a Christian. We believe, though, that when the Bible says that they were speaking in tongues, it refers to their speaking in known foreign languages. And the proof of that is Acts chapter 2. We'll just kind of summarize this, where the disciples are given the gift of speaking in known foreign languages that they were unaware of. In fact, verse 6 of chapter 2 And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Then they mentioned the folks from around the world who had come for the Pentecost celebration. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Now proselytes were Gentiles who had joined the Jewish faith. And they named two of them, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so last week, we took a look at Paul talking about how important it was that he was able to speak in different languages, different tongues. Paul could probably speak uh, Hebrew Latin, Aramaic, uh, certainly Greek, which of course he was writing in. And we ended in verse 19, where he says, nevertheless in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, We're continuing now with verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written. Now, where is he talking about in the law? What he's doing, he's quoting from prophecies of Moses. Moses, of course, wrote the law. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And here's how he summarized it. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, what's the conclusion that Paul draws from this? Uh, Remember, when Jonah went to Nineveh, the whole town was converted. They were foreigners, but they were speaking to one another about God. But even among the Jews, many would not listen to the Lord. So Paul says in verse 22, Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now, what's he talking about? How is tongues a sign for unbelievers? Well, it's kind of like when we send missionaries overseas to different countries we often get the missionary first to learn the language. And when the missionary learns the language and is speaking law and gospel, that is for unbelievers, many of whom have never heard this before. I had the opportunity to spend some weeks in Novosibiris, that's in Siberia. And as I said I was unable to speak Russian, but I had an interpreter with me, and she would translate what I said in English, and it was for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Okay, what is this prophecy? The prophecy is referring to the words of the Bible that proclaim Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that's for believers. For, for example, when we did confirmation classes for people of different languages, we would attempt to use their foreign language, but in the prophecy we were speaking, it was for the believers so they would come to a better understanding of what we were saying. Verse 23, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? In fact, if you look back at the Pentecost experience, When the disciples were given the gift of speaking in known foreign languages, some people accused them of being drunk with wine. Verse 24, But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. Now, a sermon is a prophetic word. In fact, prophecy, you know, comes from the word prophet. God sent his prophets into the world to speak first the law, to make people aware that they were in need of a savior. Therefore, if an unbeliever or outsider enters and he hears prophecy in his own language, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, how does that work? Well, you know that I drive for Uber and Lyft occasionally. Those are taxi cabs. I pick people up. And although we're mainly speaking English, if we get into any theology, I will be giving them law and gospel. Uh, How many times have I had someone in the taxi, so to speak, and they don't think they're a sinner? And then I say, well, do you ever have these kinds of thoughts? And I may give some examples, and they say, well, yes, but..." Are you telling me that even a bad thought is a sin in God's eyes? Yes. And God knows you're doing that. This is a way in which the person comes to a realization that he too is in need of a Savior. Verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come to... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now, if you attend a Lutheran worship service, we obviously have hymns. We all obviously have lessons. That refers to Old Testament, epistle, gospel, also the fact of a psalm. A revelation would mean a truth revealed to the hearers of which they were unaware, and a tongue or an interpretation. Some of the liturgy we sing, we actually sing in Latin. In fact, we also have hymns in our new hymnal that are in Spanish. And when you see such a hymn... The English is also written beside it, so you have a proper interpretation. What Paul is saying, if you look at the end of verse 26, let all things be done for building up. That's the main goal. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn and let someone interpret. Now, how many times have we heard a sermon where to make a point, the preacher may speak in Hebrew, the word, or they may speak in Greek. Uh, For example, when we teach about God loving the world, there's different Greek words. Uh, The one is phileo, where we get the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. But the one that God uses for God so loved the world is agape. So you may hear in a sermon a foreign word, but someone needs to interpret that word. The pastor has to explain agape is a far higher form of love than philea which is kind of a love between brothers, but agape is a love even towards the enemy. So we don't have a problem with different languages being used in a worship service. But if there is, this is verse 28, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself and to God. So occasionally, I know some of my professors who either knew the Hebrew or the Greek might say prayers to God in Hebrew or Greek, and they do that privately because very few people in the congregation know the Hebrew or the Greek. If two or three prophets speak And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation, verse 30, is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And here we go, verse 32, And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. When God sent a prophet, he sent him with a specific word. Now, sometimes prophets were able to take something foreign, like the dream of Pharaoh. Remember how Joseph was able to interpret that dream. And so, by means of the spirit of being a prophet, Joseph could speak to Pharaoh what the dream meant about seven years of good and plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And why does God do that? Verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, as in all the churches of the saints, verse 34 says, The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Now, obviously, in the context, this is a woman who is not to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that women can't speak in the church. You need to look at the context to understand that. Uh, For example, a number of my Sunday school teachers were women. They were better able to talk to kids who were three, four, five, six years old than I was able to talk to them. But they were not in an official capacity to speak because they should be in submission, as the law also says. That's a very important point. They participate in worship, singing as they had in the Old Testament. In Exodus 15, women were allowed to sing, but they did not serve as public ministers of the word. So God made a distinction between male and female in his created order. And all that Paul is doing is distinguishing between the male and female roles. Very, very important. So it's not saying that the women can't say a word in church. They're singing. Uh, they often may will do a reading in some churches, but they're not permitted to be pastors. Verse 35, if there is anything they desire... And then it continues to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, that can be a, a whole other Bible study. We can go through why God does not permit women ordination. But Paul's just making that point. Verse 36 Or was it from you? that the word of god came or are you the only ones it has reached if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual spiritual he should acknowledge that the things i am writing to you are a command of the lord now on pentecost sunday we had a sermon that was really contrary to what many people think Pentecost is about. Some people think that Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came and he replaced the law of God. What does that mean? That means that rather than finding out what God wills us to do by reading the law, the moral law, we just instead instead look inside ourselves and whatever we feel, that is God talking to us and we try and follow that. This was in an article by a person who felt that it was not wrong to do an abortion if the Holy Spirit led you to do one because the Holy Spirit now replaced the law of God. And that is horrible. In Missouri, for example, the legislator just completed a wonderful task of almost making abortion illegal. Whereas in Illinois, it went the other way. Now, the Roman Catholic Church the Archbishop, I believe, in Chicago has declared that those legislators who are Roman Catholic that voted for the pro-abortion bill, that they should not be permitted to take the Lord's Supper. A really important and necessary kind of decision to be made. So, what Paul is talking about If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. In other words, if there are those who think that I can preach what God thinks from my own intuition, from my own feelings, that I don't have to follow the Bible. It doesn't matter if you're speaking in a known foreign language or in a language everyone understands. That is false doctrine. This is one of the reasons why Lutherans publish so many books in different languages. The small catechism is published in a multitude of languages for people throughout the world so that they can hear law and gospel about Jesus Christ in their own tongue. Verse 38, when it says, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. What that's talking about is... If someone is ignorant of God's word, therefore, such an obstinate leader should be removed from office. He should not be permitted to be a leader in the church. So it's not only important that we use different languages to share the message of Jesus Christ with other people, but it is also very important that we make sure that that message is on the basis of God's word. In case you're wondering whether or not the word of God is important, remember the tremendous Bible study that Jesus gave the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were totally confused about, well, why did he have to die? How come he rose from the dead? We heard from some of the women that they saw him. Jesus, how did he convince them of the necessity of his death? And- he went to the Old Testament books, Genesis through Malachi. I once did a study on that and found like over 200 passages in the Old Testament that are quoted in the New Testament as being fulfilled, a fulfilled promise from God Himself. So, what the Holy Spirit does, and Pentecost is really important, He does not replace God's law. He instead speaks of God's law in three ways. The first way, is he uses it in the government to curb wickedness. That's why we arrest people, and there are punishments for civil disobedience. The second use of the law is used by the church, and we've already talked about that, how the church can make it clear to someone that they are a sinner in need of salvation. And you do that by using the law. I mean, you may meet someone who says, well, I've never murdered anybody. You then go to the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus and say, have you ever had a bad thought about somebody? Did you ever say a bad word in anger against someone? Oh, yeah, I did that. Well, guess what? According to the Bible, that punishment is the same as if you had actually murdered someone by an action. So, the Holy Spirit helps people to see that they are indeed sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment as he uses the law and gospel. But how does he use it? He uses it through you. That's right, parents have a wonderful opportunity to bring their children up, we often put it this way, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Admonition would mean speaking to them the law as to why God believes that they have failed in their obedience to him. The nurture would mean what Jesus Christ has done in bringing to them the good news of the forgiveness of sins and helping them to see what a wonderful gift they have received in their baptism. So, Paul continues in a conclusion of chapter 14 of First Corinthians, verse 39. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy Forbid speaking in tongues. You see, you got to remember at that time, many Jews believed that Gentiles were not worthy to be saved. And therefore, their inability to speak Hebrew kind of gave proof to some Jews that they were not savable. Paul says, no, everyone is to hear the message of Jesus Christ. There's no more a distinction between male and female, Jew or Gentile, free or slave. And that's because the message of Jesus Christ is for the whole world. So yes, it's important that our pastors and missionaries are able to speak in foreign languages so that all can hear the prophecy of God's Word. Final verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. Next week, we'll continue with another Bible study. God bless.